Welcome to the Progress Your Health podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progression Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, so on this episode, again, we're going to do uh, kind of introduce something that we've used quite a bit with our patients. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a hormone, actually a hormone prescription called oxytocin. Uh, I know a lot of people have heard of that before, right? It's uh, considered to be kind of the love hormone, uh, but it can be used, you know, it can be turned into a prescription and, uh, you know, we use it uh, quite often. Yeah, I've actually used it a lot with patients. Um, when it works, it works really well. And the great part to it is there isn't any necessarily negative side effects to it. So if it works, awesome. If it doesn't, then okay, we're back to the drawing board. But um, one thing, if you, those of you that have heard of oxytocin, they think of it as like the love hormone. But it is, it, you know, it, it can help with female libido. And that's probably a couple probably the two reasons that we use it or I use it is for working on female libido because we know that can be a tough one because escleroles are complicated. And um, the other um, part that I use it for is just a sense of well-being. It does kind of help bring up that mood. We live in a stressful world. We live in a sympathetic, you know, adrenal fight or flight world, whether it's watching the news or driving your car or getting to work on time or, you know, you know, working with family, you know, things are stressful that I find that that oxytocin can really push you over to the other side to kind of help bring that joy back. So you don't always feel so rushed and overwhelmed. Yeah, right. And, uh, you know, yeah, I would agree that those are the the two main, you know, the two main things that you and I use it for. Uh, We're not really big fans of antidepressant medication in general. We've, you know, we never use them. We don't, you know, that's fine if people want to take them, but we're not necessarily going to prescribe those things. That's just not, just not what we what we choose to focus on uh, and oxytocin is kind of our version of something like that. And, you know, it has a very good, as we were talking about on one of our previous episodes, the cost benefit ratio oxytocin, you know, also has a very good cost benefit ratio. If it works great, uh, you get some benefit from it. Uh, you know, there's been few where they just don't notice anything or the, the effect of it is not, uh, you know, is not substantial enough for them to notice any subjective improvement. Again, it's very subjective, uh, you know, libido, maybe not as maybe not as subjective, either your libido increases or it doesn't. Mood um, can also be kind of an up and down roller coaster. You have good days and bad days. Uh, that can also be a hard a hard thing to gauge or quantify over time if it's actually helpful or not. But the ones that it does, I had a, a patient to talk to just uh, uh, well, last week, um, actually earlier this week, uh, and she takes, th- she has, now this is where it gets complicated. There's there's a few different ty- uh, dosing forms. Uh, it used to be where all of them were had to be refrigerated. That has some issues, uh, but now they have some sublinguals. They have a nasal spray. They have you know some that are n- that don't need to be refrigerated, like a stable tablet. Uh, and she has three different ones, and she uses them all for different situations. Uh, and she noticed when she took the the original one, the refrigerated form, she noticed a difference, a dramatic difference in six days. Uh, she you know, and uh, ever since she's like, I love it. I think it's, uh, it's great. And she's a business owner, right? She's got a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, uh, relatively. And, uh, it just gives her that little bit of pick me up to, 
you know, to be able to get back up and do it all over again. And something you had mentioned earlier, it certainly is not a replacement for an antidepressant medication, and we don't use it in that way. We're not big fans of antidepressants in the you know, in the right circumstance, absolutely, it is so necessary. But that's where we're part of a healthcare, you know, healthcare team. You know, we work all together as a team, so we all know what our patients' other doctors are doing with them and what prescriptions they're on. Now, granted, our patients' other doctors, like their GP or gynecologist or psychiatrist, don't exactly understand what we're doing, but that's okay. We're still on the team together. But I do, the neat thing about oxytocin is, let's say somebody is on some other types of medications, there's not a lot of contraindications with taking oxytocin, even with vitamins. Like if someone's on a blood thinner, you don't want to put them on too much vitamin D with vitamin K2 in it, because that could thin their blood some more. Even vitamin C or fish oil can thin the blood. There's all, you wouldn't want to take 5-hydroxytryptophan and maybe some mucuna to raise up your dopamine if you're on some kind of SSRI or antidepressant medication. You know, there's so many different, you know, contraindications when it comes to medications. The neat thing about oxytocin is, hey, regardless is we can give it a try, you know, and if it works, awesome. If it doesn't, if you don't notice it, that's okay. And, and like Dr. Mackey was saying is I do think we should probably go back to and explain a little bit about the dosages and how you take it. So originally with oxytocin, when we would use it, it, it always came as a nasal spray, which was kind of not the funnest thing to do is to almost like you put it up your nose and you spray it kind of like Flonase or Afrin or something but it comes in that little container. You have to keep it in the fridge. It does sting a little bit in certain people's mucous membranes. It stung mine because I've tried everything. Everything we do, we always try. You know, mm-hmm. we got to experiment. Yeah, but, we are our own little guinea pigs in that respect. Yeah, in that I'm, respect. Not, I'm not going to give anybody anything that I wouldn't wouldn't do myself, you know? That's true. I think that, uh, <laughs> you know, I used to... Uh, I used to coach some nutrition students and I tell them the same thing. If you're not willing to do it, do not tell your clients or your patients to do it. Uh, you know, just because you have the experience and, you know, when it comes to diet, nutrition, supplementation, medication, all that kind of stuff, it, you know, there's a little bit of kind of trial and error to understand how things, uh, how the experience of trying something. Exactly. Well, we've tried the nasal spray and it does work. The nasal spray is more absorbable, and that's why they had it as a nasal spray, because oxytocin is very hard to digest. That's why the capsules, because they do come in capsules, oxytocin capsules, because we did eventually end up using the capsules more often than the spray, but once you take that capsule, your stomach acid really does destroy a lot of it, so you have to do kind of a higher dose, you know, kind of like you do more, so whatever it destroys, whatever's left over, you're able to utilize so now more recently, which is really nice, is now there's available the sublingual tablets. I do think the sublingual tablets are really awesome. I, I, they don't taste bad. They don't, you don't have to spray it. You can technically travel with it. Ideally, you want to keep it cool. You certainly don't want to put it in the glove box of your car in 100 degree weather. But at the same time, I do think the tablets are much more absorbable than the oral. And then a lot, in, in some ways, just as absorbable as the nasal spray, but much easier to use. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it provides like the patient I was talking about just a few minutes ago, she travels uh, quite a bit uh, and uh, she uses one for at home, the, the refrigerated version. She keeps that one in the fridge. So she, you know, and, you know, I was trying to you know ask her like, which one do you like the best? And she goes, well, it's not really which one I like the best. If I, if she had to pick one, it'd be the refrigerated one because that was the one she started with. She noticed an improvement within six days. But the other ones uh, are allow her to be able to take it, you know, when she travels, uh, you know, because it is heat stable. 
or temperature stable, uh, and even the sublingual, like I said, she'll take a half of the uh, a half a tablet of the sublingual, uh, and you know, kind of use that in the moment if she's having a stressful day or you know whatever, and she she really finds a lot of benefit from that. So when you're talking, I love that we're doing patient examples. When you're talking about this, when you say she found an effect within six days, she noticed an effect. She takes it to get a particular effect. What effect are you talking about? Uh, well, she just said that she just noticed that she felt better. Like so you said, mood wise, yeah, not yeah. like her libido's crazy and she's yeah, chasing exactly. down everybody yeah, exactly. around the street. I, I, she, <laughs> but she uh, doesn't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. No, I think she did. You know, she did say there was some you know, some some libido improvement. Which you know, for women, we deal with women in perimenopause uh, and menopause. I mean, libido just disappears. Uh, and I'm sure we're kind of. Pre- I'm probably preaching to the choir here for women that are listening. Um, that's one of the biggest complaints that we hear, and it's one of the hardest things to you know to kind of help resurrect a woman's libido. A lot of times women in their 40s and 50s are stressed. They got a lot of things going on there. Maybe they're over-exercising, they're not sleeping, and the libido just disappears. So some of those things have to be kind of all the, all the things have to be aligned properly for that libido to come back. And, uh, you know, that's originally what the oxytocin was kind of intended for is a, a libido enhancer. Um, but it, with this particular patient, her benefit was from the mood, uh, mood standpoint. She could tell it completely that, you know, she just had that, you know, that, uh, that little bit of a greater sense of well-being, not in an overstimulated way, not like she's, you know, like she's, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but just from a very pleasant perspective that she, uh, you know, she's able to do her day and she feels good. And, you know, I, I maybe even a little bit of it, a little bit of energy from that, from that positive mood enhancement that she, that she experiences. And, when it first came out, and, and, it, and they do still talk about oxytocin for the female libido, and I do think it has an effect on that, but like Dr. Mackey mentioned is us gals are a lot different than the boys. Our minds are going, and I mean, we can think of 10 different things at the same time. So when you're stressed, you have a thousand things to do tomorrow, I'm tired, I, you know, I, maybe I exercised, I didn't eat enough. By the end of the day, most women are like, I'm too tired to engage in extracurricular activities, I just want to go to bed, where fellas are, hey, they could be sleep deprived and a leg hanging off and be like, they'd be ready. You know, they're, they're up for it where I think if we can get, get a, get a female to feel good, you know, like with the oxytocin, like your patient, you're talking about, Hey, my, my mood is better. I'm connecting better with people. My, I'm feeling joy in the activities that I would normally find joy in that. I think that itself would help with the libido. Cause we're definitely way more cerebral and cognitive when it comes to sexual drive than men. Yeah, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, granted, I'm, I'm not a woman, so, but I just hear this feedback all the time, and women are just giving, giving, giving all the time. They're just, you know, they're just taking care of everybody, whether it's work, whether it's at home, whether, uh, whether uh, it's uh, friends or family, whatever the situation might be, and they don't really have the time. Uh, you know, or the bandwidth to devote any time to themselves. Uh, that's a common thing that I see over and over and over. And they just kind of, you know, they just kind of end up spreading themselves a little bit too thin. Uh, so I, the joy, bringing the joy back, I think that's a very, uh, very interesting way to describe it that, you know, um, how do you, you know, how do you quantify that? How do you, I ask patients a lot. I said, you know, on paper, someone's life's really good, right? They got a nice family. They live in a nice house. They've got a great neighborhood. Kids go to good schools. Kids are doing well. And I ask them, are you happy? Uh, and then sometimes they, they pause and like take a second and they're like, I really should be, but I'm not, uh, you know, that, that I think is a big deal. Like why, 
why do we push ourselves so much to have so many things and stuff, um, but we're miserable at the same time, right? There, you know, there's a disconnect there somewhere. And I think that uh, maybe now, because we have all these different options and how we live in America these days, I think people are trying to discover some of those things or figure some things out. But on paper, people should have these great lives according to the American dream, but a lot of them do not. A lot of them are stressed and overwhelmed and they can't sleep. And, you know, like I said, libido disappears and, and ultimately they don't have any joy or they're just not happy. And, and, and with what you're saying there, I think it's a little bit of that chicken and egg scenario. So you think oxytocin comes up when you, you know, you hug your best friend, when you, when a female has an orgasm, their oxytocin goes up so that they bond with their mate. Your, your oxytocin goes up when you see your kids doing something super cute, or, you know, we look at Bob, our little dog, and he's laying on his back, you know, with his, you know, his lay, his little paws like flailing, your oxytocin goes up. That's oxytocin. But when you're living in a stressful world, even if it's just trying to make it to work on time, or you have a hundred emails to deal with today and family stuff, or, you know, like I said, family stuff or getting the kids to school, that in some ways is stressful. The body doesn't understand that that's not a fight or flight reaction. It just, you know, our body, our adrenals respond to either a bear's going to come at me and eat me or I'm fine and I can eat berries from this tree. So when you're constantly in that stress reaction, the body thinks, well, why am I constantly being chased by a bear? The last thing it wants to do is raise up your oxytocin. If someone's at war or fighting another tribe or battle, the last thing you want is your oxytocin to come up so that you bond with your, I don't know, the people you're fighting, yeah, right. yeah, <laughs> people yeah. you're defending or you're, or you're attacking. So that's where I think that we do as a society in the society that we live in, which we live in a really wonderful world. Like you said, we're safe. We have water, we have food, we have, you know, nice home, electricity, we have heat that we live in a really wonderful world. But at the same time, that stressfulness drops is like almost like a recipe for oxytocin to be low. Yeah, right. So just to give people a little bit of background, you know, granted, you and I are certainly not a neurobiologist or anything like that. But when you talk about the sympathetic side of your nervous system, this is the involuntary part of our nervous systems that does things for our body without us having to be consciously aware of it. Like we can't, we, I mean, we can sort of control our, our sympathetic or our autonomic nervous system. So you have the two sides, you have the sympathetic, which is the rest and or the, excuse me, the fight or flight, that is the, you know, Monday morning, busy work week, go, go, go. You know, America excels at that part. We do a really good job of pushing ourselves physically and mentally um, to strive for something, right? The American dream. The other side of that, you know, the balance to that is the parasympathetic, which is the rest and digest. Uh, you know, I mean, how many people when it comes to eating breakfast or having lunch, uh, you know, they're just, you know, frantically trying to uh, shove something down their mouth or they don't eat anything at all uh, or they're eating in their car or they're doing this, you know, because they're so busy and have so many different things. You can't properly digest food in that sense. And even from a joy, happiness, libido perspective, if you're stuck in that parasympathetic or that sympathetic all the time, the fight or flight, the rest and digest mode is never going to happen. The body gets really good at doing something that it's required to do over and over and over. And, you know, we, from talking to our patients, we have to actually kind of work at allowing that parasympathetic to actually take over at the end of the day or, you know, uh, you know, on a perpetual basis. So there is the balance between the, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. Exactly. Like, like I said, kind of that chicken and the egg. So I'm stressed, you know, with daily life. 
then my oxytocin drops, which makes me not super happy. Then I'm more stressed, which makes my oxytocin drop more. It's almost like this vicious cycle in some ways. So in, in, in fact, you know, a patient I was talking to, you know, they, she went to Disneyland with her family and they love Disneyland. Some people love Disneyland. Me, I'm not really into crowds, but some people love Disneyland. And I said, did you have a good time? And she said, yes. And I said, oh, I'm like, that's awesome. But then we talked about it a little bit, but she, it wasn't that she didn't have a good time, but she said she couldn't understand why, which is why I bring up the joy part, that she didn't enjoy it even though she should have been. Like, you know, it's that part where, hey, I'm doing an activity that I normally find joy in. Why am I not feeling joy? Why am I just going through the motions? Why am I just putting on the happy face and I'm not really feeling it on the inside? Is I think that does have to do with the oxytocin. I mean, it probably has to do with a thousand million trillion other things that go on, you know, in our bodies and our, in our, in, and our environment. But I always say with, hey, if we can stop that, like just add in the oxytocin, it's safe, it's innocuous. It raises up that level of joy. You feel more connected with people, with your spouse, and then it moves from there. So kind of like that chicken, the egg, the oxytocin's up. My life is pretty good. I see some of the joy and the color in it. And then your oxytocin goes up some more. And then, then eventually I have lots of patients and, you know, myself included that don't take the oxytocin every day. I mean, I've got oxytocin in the fridge. It's probably been there for a little too long, you know, for months, but I say, Hey, just take it. You know, eventually they evolve it to where you know, hey, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning for whatever reason, or in the afternoon, I got a really nasty email and kind of put me in a bummer mood, or it's Friday night and it's just us at home. It's, you know, so, so you can kind of evolve it to where you just use it sometimes. Yeah, right. That's my patient. She takes it, uh, you know, I have a few other ones that are like that as well, that they kind of you know, they kind of use it episodically, but they also use it consistently at the same time. Uh, and hers was a bit partially because it was just the most recent where I just talked to her recently. Uh, and I, uh, you know, and I didn't realize exactly that she had three different dose forms. Uh, you know, that's, uh, but when we talked about it, I was like, really, I was asking her a lot of questions just to get the feedback. And what have you noticed? And what about this? And which one do you like the best? And dosage wise. And uh, she said one pharmacy that the dosage, they reduced the dosage, but she didn't like that as much. She wanted the higher dose. Uh, so she had a lot of really positive feedback, uh, you know, cause she had a really good response from it, you know? So, um, that, uh, that I think is, uh, and we're, again, it's oxytocin's only been around for the last probably what, five years really where it's clinic clinically ten. that it's, yeah, maybe 10, but really in the last five years or so where it's uh, gained some momentum. Uh, and I, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I think we're still learning on potential uses for that. Like we're still at the tip of that iceberg of how we could use it, even getting the dosing right. Like we might, you know, right now I know 50 units is a very common dose. Uh, like I said, the one pharmacy reduced it down to 30. My patient liked the 50, but we might find later that, you know, a hundred or 150 might be even better, especially for short term uses. If you're trying to use it on a Friday night and you, know, you got date night or something, a higher dose in a more absorbable form, right? You know, like I said, the nasal spray or a sublingual or something. Or that, the in-laws are coming to visit for the weekend or the holidays. Yeah, holidays in general can <laughs> holidays be in general. could be very stressful times, right? Monday so, morning at work. Yeah, totally. So there's a lot of potential applications where it could be used on a perpetual basis or an ongoing basis, but also very episodically, you know, or very situational basis. I think it gives a lot of flexibility for people. Uh, and the other part that we haven't talked about, we talked about this a little bit with LDN, um, but another. Another uh, that we haven't really explored too much, and I think this is one thing that I would like to 
uh, and I probably should be doing this and I haven't with patients is using it uh, for weight loss. Um, there's actually quite a bit of research um, surrounding that uh, on how it affects the brain. Uh, you know, basically in that same context, we're talking about with the autonomic nervous system and, you know, some other hypothalamic uh, pituitary signaling um, that uh, I, uh, you know, was just doing a quick little bit of research and just found that there's actually some, uh, you know, some uh, food, what would you call it? Uh, some uh, decrease in appetite things that are happening and some other, you know, weight loss is our obesity, let's say not weight loss, but obesity is kind of a double-edged sword, right? It's a brain problem and an insulin problem kind of at the same time. Uh, some people say that it's strictly just a brain issue. And then some people say that it's a strictly an insulin issue. I think it's actually both of those. It's, I think it's a, uh, a, you know, it's a, you know, it's very complicated in that respect, but oxytocin could, you know, again, from that cost benefit ratio, we're not trying to suppress appetite, but if we can modulate appetite for the right reasons, now that becomes a very safe and effective treatment potentially long-term. Yeah. If you're feeling better, if you're connecting with people, you're feeling happy, then, you know, you don't always run to the pint of ice cream like you would be if you're feeling a little unhappy. So they don't call it mood food for nothing. So I could definitely see the aspect for that. And you're right. I haven't really, um, you know, talked to my patients about, you know, we're always working on weight loss. I mean, we're, we're girls. Girls don't want to gain weight. But I haven't, I haven't really talked about the connection with that with some of the patients. So I think I'm going to do that in the, in the future. Definitely we use it for, you know, female libido and then also for mood in general. Pretty much most of my patients, 85% of my patients are female, probably 80 to 85%. I've tried to use oxytocin a little bit with men in terms for mood. I haven't really had a lot of success, just to be honest about that. Granted, my, you know, my patient population for men using it is very, very small. So that's not to say it wouldn't work with men, but definitely with the females, when it works, it works well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, uh, I think a lot of times too, even with the, uh, you know, with LDN, you know, cause these are both kind of, you know, the low dose naltrexone that we talked about in a previous yeah, yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> both, both of these are kind of, I would say in some ways kind of fringy prescriptions, uh, not fringy, but they're just not going to find these kind of uses in a conventional standpoint. So you can't go to your general practitioner and expect them to understand on how to dose it or what it is or what you would even use it for. Uh, but we're, you know, we're still trying to you know, uh, figure out those applications ourselves because uh, again, well, that cost benefit ratio for both of them, uh, it's got a very good co- a, a very good benefit side, very low downside. Uh, the potential uses are you know are unlimited in some respects, uh, and I think now and nowadays, like you said it best, you know everyone is just looking for a little bit more joy in their day, you know, or just life in general. Uh, and there's no reason why there shouldn't be. There should be almost you know like you said, we have a really we could have if we allowed ourselves, you know, here in America, we could really have an amazing quality of life. I think some people figure that out. Uh, but I think some people are still trying to, you know, there's something missing in their lives. They haven't really quite. And that I think is very individualized, right? Thinking everybody has to do the nine to five American dream. Uh, you know, that doesn't work for some people. You know, it might've been the only option there was, you know, 20, 30 years ago, 40, 50 years ago, maybe 70 years ago, whatever. But nowadays you don't have to necessarily do that. Uh, and I think some people just don't, you know, they don't respond that way. They need to have a different lifestyle. And I think in America, we have the autonomy to be able to choose that for ourselves. Uh, you know, so uh, LDN might, or excuse me, uh, oxytocin might just be a, you know, a way to help people get there. Uh, now, if your life is chaotic, you know, and you got stress all over the place, eh, you know, uh, 
prescriptions like that can only do so much, you know, can only have so much of a reach. Maybe you have to clean up some of the chaos first before uh, or at the same time um, in order to have kind of a little bit of a synergy there. Um, But, you know, as an option, it certainly is a viable one for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, with health and you know, joy and all that. It's, and, and also working on, you know, hormones and hormone imbalance. It's all a big puzzle. Oxytocin could be one piece of the puzzle. It's not going to be the panacea or the huge, you know, it's going to not be the one thing fits all or, you know, knocks it out of the park, but it could definitely be a piece of the puzzle as we're kind of moving along. And I think you're right. People innately or probably conscious for sure, consciously realize they have a great life. They live in a, you know, you know, in a great world here and, if they feel like, hey, I've got a really good life, why am I not feeling well about it? Then we say, hey, you know, let's let's look at the oxytocin. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, it would be worth a try. Yeah, and look, now, granted, that is a little bit of a band aid, right? You know, you are trying to pharmace- pharmaceutically have an impact, but in the short term, um, you know, that I think that is a, a very viable treatment or, option. Like I said, the chicken and the egg. If you can feel better than things around you change and then you change and it's just a way to get the ball rolling. Yeah, right. Now, one that's one, you know, that's interesting that you say that because one, you know, one thing that we try to do with our patients is our job is to get them to feel better first, right? Uh, we don't want to, and that's why, you know, when I was, uh, uh, you know, talking about my nutrition students, uh, you know, you don't necessarily want to make things harder for people because their lives are already hard already anyways. Our job is to improve how they feel uh, and then they take care of some of the other things on their own once they feel better first. Um, that's, uh, you know, that we take that responsibility as someone comes to us for to be a patient. Uh, you know, that is kind of what they come to us for is to make it, we want to make it easier for them. They notice a change and then they start taking care of life. You know, we've had plenty of people that have literally, once they feel better, everything changes in their life. Their exercise improves, their diet improves, their relationships improve. Maybe their relationships change. uh, Maybe their jobs change. Maybe their locations change. All of that can happen once a person actually feels better. And like you say, the oxytocin can play a, a nice role in that in the early stages. Exactly. So I would say it's not a Band-Aid, but maybe more of a stepping stone. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not a Band-Aid. I, I, I think that some of the pharmace- Medica- pharmaceutical medications with side effects become habitual. You're stuck on them forever. That's a terrible Band-Aid. Yeah, that, I, that's a good distinction. I would agree with that. I yeah, don't think more that- More of a stepping stone to see what direction you can go in. And, you know, and that's, we just, you know, we're just guiding. We're not like giving them the magic keys. You know, we're just giving them some, some like I said, a stepping stone so they can go in the direction they want to. Yeah, yeah. You know, we don't, we, we, we've got some good tricks in our, in our, you know, in our bag, but we don't necessarily have- we, wand. <laughs> we don't have a magic wand. We can't, we can't do it all. And, you know, honestly, stress, we all have stress to some extent. Some of us have more than others. Stress is the, is the obstacle cure, to cure for everybody, right? Stress is the big one. Uh, and we all know that stress is not good for us in a multitude of ways and how we feel and how we look and our health and immune function and weight and all those kinds of things. But how do we, how do we approach that or how do we affect that is really the million dollar question, you know? And I think oxytocin plays a very good role role, uh, in that, you know, in that potential there. So, uh, again, do you have anything else to add or should we call, uh, you know, call this one a wrap? I think it was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, until next time I'm Dr. Mackey and I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.